Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Um, you're going to have to be on your game today um, because we're going to be all over the Scripture. Like, all over. Well, we'll be in the New Testament. I'll give you that, I think. That's my plan right now, anyway. Um, but um, you're, we're going to, and we're going to go to all these texts, and I want you to read them, and I want you to get there. Um, and just to warn you, like, they're not going to be on the screen. So if I try to get you to a text and you're not, um, you can't get there fast enough, and you want to just jot down the reference, um, because really what I want to do is I want to kind of get a picture of how Jesus lived. Okay, so we're going to look at a lot of different texts in the Gospels this morning. Um, but I want to start with this question. Um, and I, and I want to ask this question often, and I want to answer this question often, but here's the question. What are we doing here? Like, why are we here? Why does North Church exist? Why do we come here on Sundays? Why do we have community groups? Why do we do what we do? Why do we gather? What are we doing here and what I want to unpack for you is really my heart. And as a church, um, we don't do discipleship perfectly. As a pastor, I don't do discipleship perfectly. Okay, I've been investing in a handful of guys for over a year now. Um, and I make very clear very often the things that I don't do well. And I think they're very aware of that. But here's the thing. Um, and those of you that are in relationships where you're investing in people, um, Paul writes and says, we don't give people ourselves, we give them Jesus. Okay? Um, and so I, I want to walk through um, really who Jesus was and what he did and this mission to make disciples. And I want to call us into that. And so I want to kind of give some context to why we do what we do, and really some context to the relationships that I know many of you are in, have been in, will be in, that have a discipleship emphasis. Meaning, I'm going to invest in you for the purpose of you becoming more like Jesus so that you can then turn around and invest in someone else and reproduce yourself in someone else. Okay? So I hope to give some framework to that, and I hope to speak um, some very applicable things to the relationships that you're in as you disciple, as you are discipled, as you will be making disciples. So Matthew 28, let's start in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Okay, so let me stop there for a second and say that if you're not sure where we're at, um, it's very bad to just open up the Bible and start reading and not have some type of context for where we're at and what's going on. Okay, this is the end of Christ's life and ministry. Okay, he's about to ascend into heaven Okay, he's lived for 33 years on the, on the earth, and he's been brutally murdered um, in a grave and rose again. And he's given kind of a final message to the Christians there and to, to us. And Jesus, verse 18, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given 
to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, God help us from just being overwhelmed with familiarity this morning and being numb to the fact that we've probably heard this text taught a ton. I'm not going to stay in this text, but the problem so often is um, not really what we know or what we don't think we know. It's what we're doing or what we're failing to do. Okay, and if you look at the church and the culture of the church over history, the, one of the, the fundamental mistakes that, that we've made is we've failed to make disciples, We've emphasized different things, we've emphasized different programs, but we failed to emphasize the gospel, which is all about making disciples and what Jesus is saying here. But notice what he says in verse 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, just think about that. Like, all, like, like supreme authority has been given to him. How? By who? Anybody know? God, hey, good job. <laughs> Pontius Pilate, no. Um, God the Father, okay, the first person of the Trinity gave all authority to Jesus when he came to earth. Okay, so it shows his divinity. Okay, so he's standing on this mountain, you know, preparing to ascend into heaven, and he gives this statement, but really what he's saying is this, this statement has absolute supreme authority, behind it. Okay, hold your spot in Matthew 28. I want you to flip to John 16. John 16. Where we're at in John 16, leading into John 17, is Jesus believe that he is in um, the Garden of Gethsemane um, not too long before he's going to be crucified. And he has an intimate moment with his father. Okay? Um, And so really what he's done uh, prior to what I'm about to read is he's unpacked some of his final teachings, some of his final teachings to his disciples of, you need to make note of this because I'm going to leave. Okay, and so he, he, we come to verse 31, John chapter 16, verse 31, and here's what he says. Jesus answered them, do you, know, uh, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Okay, I want to stop for a second, because Jesus says something very important. He says, I've poured my life into these disciples for, for all these years, for, for, for these, this time, I've poured my life, and here's what's happened. You're about to scatter. We've been together. We've gathered. I've invested in you. And you're about to go, which is a reality of what we always want to, what I always want to see happen here, is we come and we gather, and we're the gathered church, and we experience the Lord, and we worship, and we're encouraged, but then we're scattered out into our homes, and into our workplaces, and into the, the crevices of the corners of the world to make a difference for the name of Christ. And he says, and it's coming soon, you're going to be scattered. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome 
the world, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus, in the beginning of chapter 17, gets away from everyone, and he's just with the Father. And the picture that comes to mind, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, the Garden of Gethsemane scene. Okay? And the sweating of blood, and the intensity of the prayer, and the disciples falling asleep. Okay? You get that scene in your head? For those of you that have, that have seen it, so Jesus is here in this intimate time with his Father. And here, here's basically what he said. Father, my time's come to an end. I'm going to die and I'm, I'm going to come and be with you. I've, I've fulfilled what you've called me to do. He's kind of almost standing back at the, the end of, of his mission. And he's looking back and thinking back. And he's like, Father, be glorified. Glorified with who I've been, with, with how I've lived my life. He's like, I've glorified you on earth. I've accomplished the work that you called me to do. How many of us will be able to say that? Jump down to verse 6. He's going he's to unpack some of the things that he did. Okay, here we go, verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So he's like, you gave, people came to me and I called them to follow me. And I told them to repent and believe the truth of, of who my Father is and what the cross will mean for them. And you gave them to me. You birthed salvation in their hearts. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and have come to know the truth that I came from you and have believed that you sent me. So what is he saying? He's saying, I poured the truth of the kingdom of God into these disciples. And they believed it. And I'm about to send them off to do the same. I'm about to leave. But jump to verse 20. And you could keep reading because it just really goes on with some um, some more specifics on, on what he did in his time on earth. But verse 20 just blows me away every time I read it. Here's what Jesus is praise. I do not ask for these only. Because he's, he's like, I don't ask just for um, the three, Peter, James, and John. I don't just ask for the 12, the 11. Um, I don't just ask for the 70, um, those that really followed my ministry. I ask for those who will believe in me through their word. So they're going to be sent out to, to pour the kingdom of God into someone else who's going to be sent out to pour the kingdom of God into someone else. So when we read the Bible, when we read the book of Acts, when we read the Pauline epistles, when you read these things, do you realize that what's happening is the, the kingdom of God is being advanced so much so that it got to you and it got to me. Okay, the reason why I believe today is because of the faithfulness of the generation before me and the generation before them and the generation before them. 
to invest the kingdom of God into the next generation, into the next generation, to reproduce themselves and, and, and keep going. Verse 21, for, um, let me read 20 again. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Okay, so just giving an incredible picture of the church, just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, so the intimacy that the, that the Godhead has, he says, would that be a picture of the church? That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So at the end of his, the end of his life, he paints this incredible picture via a prayer of, of really God's heart. That he, of what he's fulfilled and what he prays that, that the, the disciples that are going forward will fulfill, but also what we will fulfill in advancing the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to go back to Matthew 28. Okay, so this intimacy with the Father, okay, the communion that Jesus had with the Father in those moments. And he's like, you gave me authority on the earth. And you put people under my care. And I'll reread this passage. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Like he walked this earth. He's reigned in heaven. All authority has been given to me. Now he gives a command. And the command isn't go. The command is make disciples. Make disciples as you are going, as you are baptizing, as you are teaching Behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. When, um, when we were uh, in India in January, um, one of the things that, that we did was um, we told stories. Um, told stories, basically chronological storytelling through the scriptures. And um, as, as we were there, one of the things that um, the church planter there uh, did was he would leverage our, I'll just say whiteness, my whiteness, um, in, a, in a different culture um, to draw attention <laughs> in, in some regards, um, where we'd go into a village and it's like, well, you're not from here. What are you doing here? And it's just amazing. Like you'd go into a place, and there's, there's this one village I just cannot get out of my mind. The crowd that flooded, like, within minutes, there were hundreds of people, like, you know, like, come check this out. Like, I mean, kids that had probably never seen an American. Like, it was just, it was crazy. But we'd go into these villages, and what we would do is, um, we'd share the truth of Scripture. We'd share the gospel. We'd share testimonies of what God had done in our lives. And I don't know where this new church was started, but I just, I got two villages in my head that I'm like, I wonder if it's that one. I wonder if it's that one. Where seeds are planted. And really, the church is just simple there. Sometimes I'm like, as simple as we do church, I'm like, we overcomplicate it. Because, like, really, they're just, they in, engage relationally with, with unbelievers, and they invest the gospel in them. They talk to them about Jesus, and then what happens? 
they come to faith in Jesus. They baptize them. Then they teach them the truth of the gospel and teach them to go and share their faith with others who don't know Jesus. And what do they do? They come to faith in Jesus and they baptize them and they teach them and then they teach them to then share their faith. And then, does that sound like something we just read? Yeah. And so you have a couple people come to Christ, a couple people baptized, and before you know it, you have a church, the gathered people of God, under the weight of the cross, gathering together to celebrate, to live life together, to break bread together, under the authority of Scripture. That's the church. And that's what our team right now is engaged in. In South Asia. Here's the, here's the thing I wrestle with in my head and, and, and even in my own even in my own heart. Because here's the danger. What we say so often is how we want to be perceived. I can think about it all the time, like, God, would you please make the things that are coming out of my, my mouth the reality of how I live? Because we what we say, like we want to look so good, don't we? Like we want to be like, we're firing on all cylinders in, in our job. We're firing on all cylinders in, in this and, and, and like in our faith. And like, so we talk a big talk a lot of times as Christians. But the truth is that it's what we do. It's really what we believe. So we can talk all we want. I can stand up here and talk all I want about making disciples, engaging the lost. Like the question is, is like, do I do it? Who cares, like, if this says to do it, if I don't do it? And so I pray that maybe the, the byproduct of today's message might be that, like, you're like, when are they going to South Asia again? I want to go. Again, not that that's the front lines of ministry. We've become so good at ignoring God's commands. But think about this a second. I don't really see this as a command. Like, do, you, do you follow me? Like, I don't, when I read this, I'm like, is this like a command like, that I, just, like, I better do? Like, this is like a, a mission. Like, this is a calling that's to encompass everything that we do. In every sphere of life, in every corner of the world. So this isn't a calling for you to become a pastor. Okay, hear that. Please don't. It's tough. Let's put it that way. We don't need more pastors. Well, we do. But um, we need more people that are on mission with the truth of the gospel, in the business world, in the art community, in the music community, in the sports world, all over the place, in our homes. I want to ask you a question. And I'm going to have you answer audibly, just to prep you. Okay? Um, well, on this first question, I, you don't have to answer audibly, because that would be kind of awkward. Um, are you a Christian? I just want you to think about that for a second. It's not a trick question. It's a sincere question. 
that you don't have to answer audibly, um, even though I just said that. Um, are you a Christian? How do you know that? That's the one I want you to answer audibly. Like, how do you know you're a Christian? Anybody? Freedom? Spirit of God in you? It's clear? How do you know you're a Christian? Maybe you're like, I've repented and believed. Go to church. Hope you got more than that going for you. Um, I've seek to pray. Uh, seek to love others. Yes, but I want to show you something, okay? Um, here, here's the thing. Uh, Friday, I was taking Mikhail to gymnastics, and after we got done with her gymnastics class, um, I took her to see the community garden, and I hadn't been there in a little bit, um, and I'd just been hearing that there's just, like, it's just going nuts, okay? And so I roll up to the community garden, and Mikhail wanted to stay in the car. I'm not really sure why, probably because it was like 200 degrees outside, and she wanted to stay in the air conditioning. Um, and so uh, I'm like walking over to the garden, kind of glancing back. You know, my car's running. There's a three or four-year-old in it, um, which she shouldn't do. Um, and, okay, there's sunflowers that are seriously eight feet tall. They got like Trader Joe's bags over. I'm not really sure what's going on there. We can, somebody can explain that to me later. Um, but like they're seriously eight plus feet tall. Okay, and what I'd been hearing is that there were... <laughs> tomato plants that were just going nuts. And so I'm like, I want to go see the tomato plants. So um, I went and I, I found them. And uh, I don't know if I broke the rules or whatever, but I started picking some. <laughs> I probably broke the rules. Um, I was like, I'm going to pick some. And, um, and I, you know, anytime you like pick something off the vine, which I haven't, you know, I act like I have a ton of experience in this, but like, and I'm like, there are a couple of little like cherry tomatoes, and I'm like, I'm going to eat it, but I was like, is it, is it going to be gross? And so I was like, and it was amazing, even though it was about a hundred degree tomato, okay, but, but it was, it was good. Now, now here's the thing. I didn't go over to the sunflowers looking for these. I didn't go to the squash and try to find tomatoes. Like I'm you know, pretty sure I knew what, what they would look like. I'm pretty sure I kind of knew where I'd find them. And I walked up and I saw this. But he, here's what I realized. Do you know what this shows? This shows what was planted in the ground. It's a tomato. The fruit shows the root 
I wasn't confused. I wasn't like, well, you know, how come there's apples here? Like, there's a tomato and there's an apple. Like, no, it was all tomatoes. Some of them didn't look very good and some of them weren't ripe and some of them were, you know, all rotten. And I mean, but they were tomatoes. The fruit shows the root. So I ask you this question. Are you a Christian? With, with the goal in mind for you to think about, what's the fruit in your life? For you to examine that. Like, the, if, if the fruit shows the root, then the fruit in our lives is going to really bring to light who we are. I mean, read James chapter 2. One of the things that, that we might wrestle with here is like, well, you know, Jesus tells us to love God, love people, um, you know, don't lust, don't do this, you know, um, don't exasperate your children, uh, you know, all these commands, and, and it's like, well, I'm kind of balancing and kind of juggling all of these different things, like, how do I keep all of these up? And here's the simple thing, if I could just simplify it, the fruit shows the root. And what it means to be a Christian is to have a life that looks like Christ. Does your life look like Christ? Now, go to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Let's start at verse 16. Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Okay, good deed. Like I would equate that with fruit. Like what, what outward, what external thing do I need to do, needs to be present in order for me to be saved, in order for me to have eternal life, in order for me to have the promise of heaven? What does he say? He said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Because he's giving glory to his father there. Um, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. So that, you know, the rich dude's like, all right. I like him right here. Keep the commandments, okay. Um, which one? Jesus said, um, shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's as if like the young man like just got this big grin on his face and said, all of these I've kept. Other translations say, all these I've kept from my youth. But do I still lack? In verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell everything that you have. Go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Here's the thing. This rich, young ruler, he missed the relational call of God on his life invitation 
to relationship. Come follow me. He's like, well, I can you know, keep this moral code, and I can keep that moral code, and I can try to manufacture the, this fruit. But just like you're missing it. Go get rid of all that junk and come follow me. Lay aside your vision, your plan. Because what we want to do is we want to have this agenda and then we want to stamp like the mission of God on it. Right? We want to like justify who we are, what we're doing, or act as if what we're doing is really the heartbeat of, of what Jesus wants us to do. It's an example I give, I've given several times of, of me walking in, in, the, in Walmart and Mikhail being up ahead and keep looking back to see if I'm following her. It's like we're living our lives looking back. God, you following me? God, you following me? And Jesus is like, go get rid of all that. Like you come be with me. You come be in relationship with me. John 17, this is eternal life that you know me. Okay, so it's an invitation. So discipleship is this invitation into relationship. Um, if you look in your bulletin, um, there's a definition of disciple. The very top there on the front page, it says, um, disciples, people who learn to be like Jesus and learn to do what Jesus could do. Now, I want to um, stop you for a second because maybe in your head you're like, it's Jesus. I guess anybody kind of... Unless I'm the only one, even though I'm teaching. Like, does anyone else like have that thought? Okay, maybe it's just me. Okay, so Dave, here's what you need to do. Um, like the scripture says, Jesus says, you will do greater things than me. Like, it just, just baffles. Like, we could debate what that means. But like, it means what it means. Like, we'll do greater things than Jesus did because... He went, and he's interceding on our behalf, and he sent his spirit. He put his spirit within us to be about what he was about. So a disciple is someone who learns to be like Jesus and learns to do what Jesus could do. Um, I'm really baffled by the mimic stage that my son Tobin is in. Like, it's, it's almost hilarious. Okay, that he just wants, like really wants to do everything that everyone else is doing. Okay, um, especially Mikhail, um, but also me. You know, so if I got a hat on, he's like, I want a hat, you know. Um, and it's funny, like, I'll have, I always, like, keep a pen in my pocket like this, and, like, you know, my kids, they want to, like, put a pen in their pocket like that. Like, they just, like, it's, it's this imitation. It's this, this mimic stage, which is really, like, what it means to be a disciple. It's to follow. It's to do as Jesus did I mean, it's even like awkward, like even like when I go to the bathroom, my son's like intrigued and it's like, um, yeah, we won't go on there. But um, Luke chapter 6 verse 40 says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Um, flip to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 beginning at verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, 
Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee his father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, now get this. He's going to these, these, these men who have careers, who have lives, who have families. And they're literally laying aside all that they have to follow Jesus. I mean, the one, it said, they left their boat. They left their father. Okay, now, that doesn't translate, really, in, in, our, in our text, in our, I mean, in our culture. Okay, if, if you would go to Luke 14, and I'll just read it to you, you can listen. But it says, now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Like, so this, this idea of actually abandoning, not just our agenda, but even abandoning a, like family, like we don't understand. Okay, When I was in India in 2003, there was... A guy named Jolly, that's such a great name, um, he, was, he was a real skinny dude, kind of weird, but, um, and he was Hindu, and uh, one of the, the pastors that had started over 300 churches led him to, to, cry, to faith in Christ, and after he became a Christian, his father hired a hitman to kill him, to kill his own son. And for a year, the guy who led him to Christ hid Jolly from his dad to keep him alive. Okay? So there's a, there's a real reality in some parts of the world, and even... And Amanda, you may remember that, but like even being in this, you know, whether it's an Islamic culture or Hindu culture or whatever it is, like where coming to Christ is literally the abandonment of all that you are and all that you have. Because everyone's going to come against you. Again, unfortunately, on some levels, we live in a culture where Christianity can just be easy and be seen as easy and be comfortable and we can kind of half-heartedly do it and no one's going to really confront us and we're not going to be persecuted and, you know, um, and we feel like we're doing okay. But Jesus is like, come follow me. And, and here's the thing. Like, if you're excited about discipleship, if you're excited about growing in the Lord, if you're excited about moving forward in your walk with the Lord, I hope that it's not with this thought in your head like, you know, this, you know, this kind of, you know, hip in your step or whatever, like this, this is cool. Because here's the thing, like it will cost you your life. Like Jesus says that you have to come and die, bear your cross and die. So listen, those of you that are discipling others, I hope you're, you're sending this message. Like this is a call to come and die 
to, to lay aside your agenda. Man, my sister-in-law just quit her job. She has an incredible career, incredible, um, just, just finished her master's in administration. God's doing amazing things in her and her husband, and she was a teacher, uh, taught Spanish in, in St. Charles for several years and was moving up, and she went to her boss and said, I'm, I'm putting in my, uh, my resignation, um, and God's calling her and her husband to, to start a ministry, um, and like, it's just like, you did what? The Lord told us to do it. Like, that's faith. I'm not saying go, like, quit your job, unless, like, you hear from the Lord that you're supposed to quit your job. But, like, if he asked you to do that, would you do it? Many of us wouldn't. Like, I don't know that I would. There's some things that, like, I don't know if if he asked me to do it. I don't know if I'd do it. But here's the thing. The call to follow Christ is a call to give up everything at his call. So those of you that are moving forward and like, I want to be used by God. I want to be invested and I want to invest in others. Like, it's going to cost you everything. It's not going to be fun sometimes. You're not going to want to do it sometimes. So my prayer is this morning that we'd be challenged by the things we hold so tightly in our hands. That when Jesus says, come follow me, that we'd be reminded of, of what that call means. A call into relationship with him, but a call to yes love and to yes pursue um, living a moral life and a, and a holy life. And, but, but all of these things in relationship with Christ. And if you think about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does the word Christian mean? Be a little Christ. That your life looks like Jesus. And I'm coming more and more um, annoyed by the reality of like, my life sometimes just doesn't look like Jesus, and it really just doesn't look like the people in the Scripture. And that's beginning to bother me. Like how many of you have you've seen God bring people to faith in Christ through you? Like, do you long for that? Like, do you long that your words, like, that your speech, that your actions would actually impact people in such a way that they'd want what you have? They'd want to live the way you live because they want something different than just what they have. Like, they're done with doing business the way the world's done business, doing money the way the world's done money, doing relationships, doing, like, all these pursuits it just gets old. And as Christians, we're to engage a culture with a lifestyle and a way of living that's different. And through that, God uses us to bring people to faith in Christ. And so if it doesn't burn on your heart, the fact that you haven't maybe had an opportunity to share your faith or done it or seen people begin to show interest in Christ or maybe even come to faith in Christ through your life 
I want to challenge you to pray for that. Like, God, I want to see someone come to know Jesus through me. Like, that's not a prideful prayer at all. That's a prayer that's very much in line with the, the mission of God on our lives as God's people. There's a quote in your bulletin. At the very bottom it says this. I know many Christians who have the ability to be spiritual parents but don't make it a priority. Though, though they would like to call themselves mature, I would say they are not. Why? Because they have not prioritized their lives around the mission of Christ just to make disciples. We've bought into this consumer, like my sanctification is all about what it does for me and how it makes me feel and how it affects me and my sphere, you know, and, and really just this self-centered pursuit of Christ. I pray this morning, God, to push us out of that. Because here's the truth. If the gospel that you're sitting under, those that are, that are making disciples right now, you're investing. If, if the gospel that you're proclaiming to your disciple, your student, your learner, if the gospel you're proclaiming to them doesn't send them out, then it's a different gospel than Jesus preached and the disciples preached. And that's really at the heart of what I want to unpack. Um, next week. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. And you enacted a, a kingdom and a mission and a purpose for us. And I pray and I ask this morning that God, as we move forward as we begin to engage in God all that you have for us God that that we'd be challenged that we'd be broken God not just that at our moral failures but that we'd be broken at the core of failing to live out your commission to make disciples we don't have the power within us to convert people, to bring people to faith in Jesus. But as Jeff said, the Spirit of God is in us, testifying that we're your children. God, I pray that that Spirit would be awoke, woken up in us, so much so that we would be enthralled by you and want to give away what we have, want to invest in a younger Christian, want to pour into them, Forgive us for being lazy. God, would you move? In Christ's name.